Good shots of community together. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, my name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. Welcome to everyone watching online, everyone watching on the venue. Great to be with you. If you're coming in right now, you're welcome to come up front if you don't mind looking nice and close at me. If you want to pass and sit in the back, I understand. That's what I do as well. Um, but uh, thanks for doing your best to practice this social distancing thing. I know it's really, really hard. I am so tired of it. How about you? Oh, my goodness. But thank you for scooting together in the middle of the worship service, or the middle of the worship songs here today and creating a little bit extra space. Um, if you have any area that there's still a few seats, would you raise your hand? Is there still people coming in? If there's a few seats with a little bit of distancing, um, Okay, yeah, maybe here in this row where uh, four or five rows in here where Mike is, he can come in. Okay, we're all set in the back. All right, there's another row in the front, and then also there's plenty of room over in the North Auditorium as you're coming in today over in the venue space. We have that available for you also. As has been noted already, we are uh, interrupting our First Peter series. It's been great to be talking about living in the pressure cooker together. It's been challenging, but a, I think a great service, a great series in First Peter in my humble opinion. Um, but uh, we are going to interrupt it for a few weeks because we, we really just need to talk about something that is the most important thing for us right now, which is community. And I, I, I mean, that's not an exaggeration. The number one most important thing that we need right now in our lives, that we all recognize that we are lacking right now in our lives, is community. We need relationships with a few other people in this time of extraordinary isolation. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to be better together as a church family uh, in these next nine months, even as it's really difficult circumstances. Before I get into today's message, though, what I want to do is just take a moment and acknowledge and give thanks and, and pray for all of the teachers and faculty and administrators and coaches and UNK professors, and CCC professors, and homeschool teachers, and private school teachers, and all the above that are in the room right now. If you're in one of those categories, would you mind standing with us for just a moment? Please, please, would you stand? Thank you. Thank you so much. We're so grateful for you. Uh, before you sit down, before you sit down, please stay stand for just a moment, okay? Both here in the auditorium and in the venue, you might be staying online right now. As you're watching online, great. But look at one of these, and we're going to pray for them right now. You look at them, and we're going to lay holy hands on them without laying holy hands on them, okay? All right, you may be seated. And um, what I'd like you to do, if you're willing, there's this beautiful scriptural principle of we put hands on those whom we believe in, that we would ask God to anoint them with his power in a time of great difficulty. And I cannot imagine a time of greater difficulty for any teacher, for any administrator, than what our administrators and teachers and coaches are dealing with right now. It's going to be the hardest of their lives, the beginning of the school year. And uh, I know many of them are nervous, and on top of all their emotions, they want to teach well. <laughs> and so we, we really need to pray for them. And so you saw someone as they stood up. Would you just raise your hands toward that person without putting your hands on that person and pray for them with me as we ask God's favor on our teachers and coaches and administrators and counselors 
faculty members as we begin the school year. Father, we are so grateful for each and every one of these. We're thankful for every teacher in our community. We're thankful for all of the teachers in Kearney Public and at the local private schools and homeschool teachers. We're thankful for all the coaches in our community. We're thankful, Lord, for all of the administrators and the principals and the folks living in, or folks working in the cafeteria and custodians. We're thankful for our superintendent and the school board, and we ask your blessing on each and every one of them. Father, I cannot imagine the stress and the pressure that they would be facing right now as they move into the school year. It makes me think of Philippians 4, verse 6, which says, In everything, give thanks, surrendering to God. It says, do nothing out of anxiety, but with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, God, we ask for these teachers, we ask for these coaches, we ask for these counselors and administrators that you would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. We pray that on top of all the emotions that they have to manage, that you would also, Lord, give them the ability to teach our kids, which is so critical, the ability to coach our kids, which is so critical. We pray for Dr. Kent Edwards. He has huge decisions that he's making all the time. We ask for all the principles and the huge decisions that they are making. God, give them your peace instead of anxiety. We pray for these teachers and coaches that in the face of fear, you would give them courage. In the face of tension, you would give them gentleness. In the face of anger and an unrelenting public, you would give them love. I pray, God, that perhaps nine months from now, there would be amazing testimonies of your grace that this school year went far better than anyone could have imagined, and we will be careful to give you all the credit. Do your great work in these teachers, we ask in Jesus' name, and God's people say, amen, amen. We love you, and we are for you, and we are praying with you and for you here in these weeks and months to come. You are not alone in this great work. The center of any healthy community, I believe, is two things, great churches and great schools. And to have great schools, you have to have great teachers and great coaches and all the rest. And we're so blessed to have so many of them here in our church whom we are so very grateful for. And we're praying for you in these weeks and months to come. Okay, you know, one of the very best questions that I've ever received as a pastor uh, went like this. It was from a wonderful older gentleman in our church who said, you know, that's all great and everything, Adrian, but how do we do that? And like, what would you like us to do here, Adrian? I'd given kind of an intellectual sermon. That's great, Adrian. But what would you like us to do here? He says with wide eyes. It's a great question. In fact, that might be the best question that we could ask. What is it that you want us to do as we would grow in discipleship together as a church family? What is your prescription, your pathway through which I would grow my life spiritually? What do you want us to do here? Like, I go out to the expo in between services, and I pray you go out to the expo after this 11 o'clock service, 
And I see that Carney E. Free offers life groups and adult education classes, women's Bible studies, men's forge, student ministries, kids' ministries, college and young adult ministries, deacon and deaconesses, a storehouse for those struggling financially, outreach to international students at UNK, outreach to the health care clinic for low-income folks here in town, missions to Chicago, missions to Columbia, care groups like R3 and Divorce Care and Divorce Care for Kids, Grief Share and Blended Families and Anchored in Hope, the information table and the cafe. The cafe's open now, thanks be to God. Go get your coffee. Techno Cool Ministries, Men in Action, Moms on Mission, and Building in Grounds and Maintenance. And I'm sure I've missed a couple. Please forgive me if I missed your ministry. Like, Pastor, do you want me to do all those? Yes, I do. <laughs> kind of, kind of I do, if I'd be honest, yeah. No, I don't. I really don't. Like, in the flesh, maybe I do. But really, I don't. What I want for you is spiritual health. The same thing you want for yourself. You long for, you desire. At the deepest level, what we desire is spiritual health. We want spiritual growth. Which raises the question for us, how do I get it? What, what would I do? Pastor, what is your program at this church through which you would give me an invitation to grow spiritually over these next nine months? The truth is, all of our calendars kind of reset about mid-August because that's when school begins. And so you might be asking right now, as we hopefully move towards some semblance of normal, what do I do to really contribute to the church that I am a part of as I seek to grow spiritually with this church that I'm a part of? Because it's not Adrian's church. It's not Scott's church. It's not the elder's church. It's not Jordan's church. It's your church. It's our church. And so how do we grow together within our church? I'd want to tell you the first thing that you must do is choose to fight spiritual apathy, which is rampant across the land. For some reason, we know that in any other domain of life, we need to work hard if we are to grow in it. But in this area of life, we think that it'll just come to us. And spiritual apathy is rampant across the land. We must... Surrender to God every day, yield ourselves to him, spend increasing durations of time and frequencies of time in our prayer chair, meeting with God, I would say on a daily basis, 15, 20 minutes at a time, meeting with God in the morning. But from there, we know that's basic stuff, from there, what is my church program for my growth? And what I want to tell you today is that our program is three very simple environments through four action words through which you would begin, I would begin, to fight the spiritual apathy that begins to fall into all of us and grow for the glory of God. Begin to see more transformation for the glory of God. Begin to see more discipleship in our lives and change in our church and through our church to the community that we live in. One of my favorite mentors is a man named Dallas Willard. I never got the privilege of meeting Dallas Willard, but he's had more uh, impact on my life as a writer than perhaps any other author. And he was a um, a philosopher and a theologian, but more than that, he wrote beautifully just on the spiritual life, how to live out the spiritual life. 
and Willard died a number of years ago, and in one of his uh, messages that I listened to uh, on several different occasions, he says this. He says, if many Christians would devote a quarter of the time to growing their faith that they devote to learning to play tennis well, then the land would be filled with spiritual giants. Okay, I don't play tennis, but I could insert my hobbies in there. And you could too. The point is not that there's something wrong with those hobbies. Those hobbies have a place. Leisure activities have a place. But we've been taught in our culture that they deserve 20 hours a week. And the result is many of us feel like we don't have any time for growing ourselves spiritually with our church and through our church for the community. And so again, what I want to encourage you to consider on today is what if you gave yourself to three to four hours a week for this church and the benefit of the community for the glory of God through these four simple words, truth, gospel, community, and mission. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll jump into this morning's text. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. You can open up there on your Bible app if you're using that, or in your Bible if you go to 1 2 Corinthians, then to Galatians and Ephesians, you get there. God's given us a wonderful table of contents as well. But we're going to read verses 8 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 2. This is a critical passage in the Bible one that Christians have been going to for centuries to kind of put their stake down and say, this is really what the gospel teaches and the impacts that it would have for my basic discipleship. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no person could boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, as a result of that, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, most of us, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him... We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen Amen is right. 
So what is it that we want you to do based on this passage, this key gospel text? The first thing that we pray that we all would do in this room, whatever spiritual background you're coming from, whatever questions you might have, whether you're, um, you, whether you're raised in church, you have no church experience at all, is this, that you would embrace the gospel. I mean, this is the hope. This is the longing. This is our prayer. This is our number one thing, that you would embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, Jesus over me. He must increase. I must become less. The title of this morning's message is Community Over Me, and we'll be talking about that more, but it begins with this, Jesus over me. And we state that when we look at a passage like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I wonder in this room, would you raise your hand if you've ever memorized Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, maybe back in the Awana days or some other time? Raise, okay, I see a bunch of hands raised. Wonderful verse to, to memorize. And it's simple as this. It's a great gospel verse that in two verses, it conceptualizes what God has done for you and me in giving his son to bring us into his family. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God freely comes to us and he offers his grace to forgive us of all of our failures. That as we acknowledge him as our savior and as our Lord, as we acknowledge Jesus that way, he forgives us from first to last and he says, you are mine. And the gospel begins with a one-time decision that I pray every person in this room, every person watching online would one day realize I cannot handle my sin problem by myself. I can't do it. I mean, my sins are long. They, they don't fit on an eight and a half by 11. I don't know about yours. Mine are long, and I can't handle those. I can't make up for those by myself. I need the gospel of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection to make up for them on my behalf, which he offers on my behalf. Here's the definition of gospel. It's this. It's the good news the really, really good news. Gospel means good news. It's the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection through which sinners like you and me are pardoned. Freely pardoned. Okay, it doesn't mean that you're not guilty. That's not what it says. You are guilty. You're still guilty. As a child of God, you're still guilty. But you're pardoned. Okay, Jesus said, I'll take all of that onto me on the cross. You're pardoned, forgiven. He takes it all onto the cross and he says, you're mine. So through which we are pardoned from all of our failures, whatever they might be, from first to last, if we are serious about calling him as our Lord and our Savior. And then not only that, he then says, I welcome you into my family. I welcome you into all my love, all of my embrace. I give you my Holy Spirit to dwell within you, to be this counselor who testifies to my truth for you. I bring you into the family of God. I care about you. I love you. I give you all my welcome, my warmth, and my embrace. And so th this is something that we do on a one-time basis, but really when we talk about embrace the gospel, we're saying we keep doing this on a regular basis. And my prayer for you is not that you have to be saved all over and over again, but like at least every week when we come to church, you'd hear something of the gospel that you say, I live from that. I live out of that. I don't live for God's approval. I live from God's approval. I get all my worth from God. He's ascribed indescribable worth to me, and all of my worth comes from him, not from any other man or woman. And I live in that. I dwell in that, and it changes the trajectory of my life. 
We embrace the gospel, and that's always a part of every Sunday morning service here. We live in it on Sundays. I pray you live in it during the week. Now, the truth is, many people don't live in it, and many, many churches, all they do is teach a gospel about get saved and then kind of eke it out until you die, and then you go to heaven. To which a lot of young people are like, that's boring. Let me just tell you, a lot of young people are not flocking back to church these days, and I see people nodding their heads. A lot of young people are not moving back to church these days, not because of coronavirus. They're not moving back to church, but because you, you have not given me something to do, is what they would say. You haven't given me something to do. So you're telling me I'm just going to eke it out until eternity? That's not a compelling enough vision to base my life upon. That's, that's what many, many young people feel today. It's the reason me, many churches are losing the battle for millennials and Generation Z for this reason. No, you got to give them a mission. They want a mission. So this is the second thing though, that we say. You embrace the gospel, but then you must join the mission. If you want to grow in Christ, it's critical that you don't just embrace something emotionally or intellectually. You have to move to the hands and join the mission of what Christ wants done in the world. I love that right after Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 comes Ephesians 2, 10. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm a math major. I'm really smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Many people don't memorize Ephesians 2.10 for some reason. I don't know why, because it comes right after verse 9. I said that already. Okay, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, a gift of God, not by which no one would boast. You're God's workmanship. You're God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. The Greek word there is poema. You're God's poem. You're God's Sistine Chapel. You may not think that way about yourself, but that's who you are. You're God's Sistine Chapel, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. That's how God sees you. You are what he says you are. Okay? You are what he says you are, not what you think you are. You are what he says you are. And you live in that, and then you recognize he has saved me from my sin, and I'll just stop there. For good works. Say that out loud with me. He saved me from my sin for good works. For good works, which he has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. I just believe by faith that God has been preparing some people in advance for this very morning that today would be the day that you join the mission of your church for the very first time. But there are people in here who have never contributed to, to the mission of Carnegie Free, and you say, today is the day that I go out to the south doors for this expo, and I join the mission in one of those areas that I just read at the beginning of this message. For some of you, today might be the day that God has been preparing in advance that you would begin to help middle schoolers. God be praised. Today might be the day that God has been preparing in advance some of you to help E-Free kids help out 10 kids for the very first time. For some of you, God has been preparing you to be a life group apprentice, that one day, in the not-too-distant future, you'd be ready to be a life group leader yourself, to be a small church pastor for 10 other people. That's what a life group leader is. That's what life group leaders should think of themselves as, is I'm a spiritual leader for those around me that come into my home on a weekly basis, and we get to grow together spiritually. God has been preparing some in this room for this very day in advance, that today would be the day that you don't just embrace the gospel, you don't just seek truth, but also you join the mission. Now we 
do all three of those. We embrace the gospel, we join the mission with our hands, and intellectually we also seek truth. And again, we have people that come here with all different religious backgrounds, no religious background at all, and we're so glad that you're here being willing to seek truth, and that's what we're going after. Together as a church family, we are seeking truth each and every time, though, that we come to church here on Sunday morning. There's this beautiful interaction in John chapter 18 but between Jesus and a man named Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate well, was the governor in the Roman Empire at the time well, where Jesus well, was living. And he conspired, of course, well, with the, the Jewish governor now named Herod, the king of the Jews. And they're working together on whether to uh, crucify Jesus for, for treason. And he asked Jesus uh, this question. He says, Jesus, I've heard some things that maybe you're a king. Is that true? Are you a king? And he says, eh, sort of. He says, I'm a king of truth. He says, anyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. I am the truth, he says. He's the king of truth. He's our cornerstone. He's the truth of this house. He's the cornerstone of this house here in this church. Everything we do is based on having an eye towards seeking Jesus following his words, following his character, following his truth-filled grace and power and love. He is the cornerstone, and what he says, we will build this house upon. And so we come to church on a Sunday morning saying, God, would you please give me the gospel? And God, I want a little bit more of your truth through Jesus. And God, I come to you with open hands in humility, asking that you would deposit some truth into my hands because I don't have all the answers. And I ask God that you would correct any false ideas in my mind, that my mind would be captured for the glory of God. I'm seeking truth. Humbly, I come before you, God, and I want you to do in me what you alone can do. We come into church on Sunday morning and we seek truth. How do I grow? We seek truth. We embrace the gospel. We join the mission, and then finally we choose community. Friends, the gospel always begins with vertical. It's Jesus choosing to come down to us, and by his grace, purchasing us by his blood, it's a vertical transaction in which he brings us to God and reconciles us to God. His work vertically for us. And then it inevitably, always, must lead to horizontal peace as well. It's vertical peace with God that leads inevitably to horizontal peace with one another. It's striking to me in this passage, this is... Paul writing to a group of mostly Gentiles in Greece, so Greek Gentiles, but then also some Jewish Christians in Greece. And Jews and Gentiles were so very different. They came from different sides of the tracks. They had different ethnicities. They were so very different in so many ways. And there they are together in one church. And Paul's telling them, you've got to choose community with each other. Listen to what he says, verse 11. Therefore, because you've been saved by grace, whether Jew or Gentile, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and with God, without God in the world. That was us. We're, almost all of us, maybe all of us in this room were Gentiles. We were separated, without hope, without God in the world. 
But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's forgiven you. For he himself is our peace, vertical peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one group, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, here he says it again, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Okay, so again, just like you, got, you have to think about this. Unfortunately, churches today, and you know, Okay, Jews and Gentiles, different cultural backgrounds, different philosophical backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different racial backgrounds. And Paul says to them, you two are now one blood. Get at peace with each other. Make peace with one another across all of our divisions because we're united on this, the blood of Christ alone. Uh, This has so much to say about the racial tension that we experience in America today, and it's right at the very heart of the gospel. Racial reconciliation and unity is at the very heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of creation, it's at the heart of the gospel, and it's the way it'll be in heaven. We should practice now. So much to say. Like, this is institutionalized segregation that they were dealing with at that time. You think about the way it was, look at this map from first century Jerusalem, if you want to get a sense of how intense this was. This is the temple in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem there was a Jewish court where Jews were allowed to go into the temple where you would meet with God, but Gentiles were not. And when Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility, what he's talking about there is that huge wall that you see separating the Gentile court outside of the temple from the Jewish court inside the temple. And it's saying all of that has been broken down by the blood of Christ, reconciling Jew to Gentile, making one new blood out of the two. Vastly different people. The the ugliness in this institutionalized, segregated system was so much that Jews would call Gentiles the uncircumcision. That was their name for them. It was a racial slur. It was like calling someone the uncircumcision. That's what it was. It was a racial slur. And and Jesus just comes in and he, he knocks all of that over. And he says, it begins with peace vertically. You make peace vertically with me, and it leads inevitably to peace with one another across all of our differences. Now, obviously, that passage is mostly about ethnic differences and making peace through those, but it leads so much for us as we are thinking about our foreshaping values, our pathway to discipleship, and this decision to choose community, it has so much impact on the way we think about ourselves in our small group communities here within this church. Like, you're in a small group community, you're in a life group of some kind with 10 other people. Let me tell you, they have a different background than yours. They have some different beliefs than you do. And that's okay. 
What's happening in our culture today is so sad. We're starting to get in these echo chambers in which millennials are only with millennials and boomers are only with boomers. And the greatest generation is being left out, God forbid. And these echo chambers where Democrats only listen to Democrats and Republicans only listen to Republicans and blacks only with blacks and whites only with whites and farmers with farmers and city slickers with city slickers and on and on you could go. And we're not mixing together and learning from each other. And the result is we couldn't imagine that we could actually be unified on something that's way bigger than our differences. We can be unified on something way bigger than our differences. And it begins in your life group. It begins in your men's group. It begins in your ladies' group. It begins in the single mom's group that you're a part of. You say, in spite of our differences, we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. One of the saddest things to, to me as a church leader is seeing the way so many churches today are choosing to target just one or two of those groups that I just listed out. They choose to just target a slice of um, the different areas of our culture and say, I'm just going to forget about all of those. This ain't that kind of church. This ain't that kind of church. This is the kind of church that targets all kinds of people because we actually believe that every person matters, that God wants every person from every background, from every different political preference. He wants them all, and so we do too. Heaven's gonna be really, really diverse. We get an opportunity to practice right now. And the greatest way for us to do that, I would say, is through choosing community in a life group community on a weekly basis where we learn each other's stories and we recognize we're not actually as different as we oftentimes think that we are. That is the balm of peace that our world needs today from the church. Okay, so as Providence would have it, we have this five-year strategic plan, and the fifth of our strategic initiatives, we're four years in, the fifth of our initiatives, as God knew in advance what we'd be dealing with today, is called from lost in a crowd to known in community. And I am telling you, in our day of incredible isolation, I can think of nothing that we need more than community with one another. And so today, we're launching this initiative from lost in a crowd to known in community with the tagline, Better Together. And I'm gonna invite Todd Marcy to stage here as we finish up this morning's message. And Todd and uh, Carrie Carpenter are co-leading this initiative from Lost in the Crowd to Known in Community because we dream, we pray that every person in here could be known as they are and loved as they are in a safe community within this church for their benefit, for their spiritual growth, and for the honor and glory of God. So Todd, come on on stage here, uh, join us. Give a warm, carny-free welcome to Todd Marcy. So Todd has been on staff with us here for about a year, leading connections ministries and life groups, and he's doing a fantastic job at both of those. And again, he's been working together with Carrie Carpenter, who leads our care groups and women's ministries on this initiative, uh, Better Together. And uh, I'm really excited it's launching today. W would you just start here, Todd, by uh, sharing with us um, why are life groups so important to our vision at Carnegie Free? Great. You know, it's easy to do life alone. Yeah. You know, if you want to make uh, peanut butter and pickle mayonnaise sandwich, you can do that. You can clean up after yourself. You can do any number of things by yourself. But when it comes to uh, spiritual growth, relationships, and 
going out on mission, it's lonely. It, it becomes very empty if we don't have it. And so doing life together really enriches um, our lives and our ministry. At Carnegie Free, we believe that life change happens in life groups. When we build relationships, when we dig into the scriptures together, when we experience life with other people, um, that's when transformation really begins to set in its roots. Um, when we are connected relationally, we begin to grow spiritually. I really like a lot of the passages that um, the passages that have phrases like one another and other types of phrases where it reminds us of our interconnectedness, our um, need for interpersonal engagement. And I think of, of Christ and how he modeled that even with his relationships here on earth that he, he gathered groups of people together and they did life together. It, it really reminds me over and over that we truly are better together. Um, Todd, one of the things that will really, the main thing that we want for all of us, as I've said already, is transformation, right? We want transformation. What I've talked about here, though, this morning is that transformation comes as we give ourselves more and more to God through these four shaping values, kind of our pathway to discipleship. Now, how, how does life groups help me? How, how would life groups help a single mom in this room, a, a father in this room, move toward Christ-like transformation. You bet. Well, our mission here at Carnegie Free is building transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. If we, if we look at that and we use that as kind of our starting point here in ministry, and we speak about life change happening within life groups. And then we look at this idea of us becoming a church of life groups, that we don't just have groups, but that that really is part of our fabric, part of who we are. We look at that and really we begin to walk step and step in our life group communities with what the mission of the church is because we begin to see groups and individuals being transformed as they grow in love with Christ and with each other. And we begin to see, again, that whole idea that life really is better together. Todd, if you were to look nine months out, um, what's your dream mm -hmm. for our church relative to better together and all the different kinds of community that we would have here through men's groups at Men's Forge, women's on Monday nights, various life groups in homes, some life groups here at the church, what do you dream about? Mm. Well, as we think of the Better Together initiative, our hope is that we're going to help individuals within our church move from being lost in a crowd to being known in community. And so as we look at, at that taking place, and as part of that journey, we look toward expanding our life groups while at the same time beginning to watch transformation unfold. I look at that, and, and then I think as part of this initiative, we've got a couple of key focuses. We've got one that is uh, to empower, and the other which is to engage. Throughout this year, our, our hope is to increasingly equip our leaders to um, be empowered to uh, build their life groups, to help speak into people's lives, while at the same time 
helping everyone who's a part of a life group to know how to better engage others who are not. And then providing a pathway for those that are interested in getting into a life group, the opportunity to engage as well. So as we look at that, and, our, and, and I think of our life groups and the many settings that they're in, we have a meeting on campus, we have a meeting off, we have uh, over under the large umbrella of life groups, we have uh, men's ministry, Forge, we have our, a lot of women's ministries, that um, groups that are meeting on Monday nights. Uh, C20 has its breakout groups other than Sunday night even. They, they meet off campus uh, from here as well. I think of ministries to single moms and others that involve couples and, and just the whole diversity of groups that takes place. And, and when I think of that and then put that together with the season that we've just gone through, nationwide there's been this whole change in how we have to do ministry and I think of how many groups did such a tremendous job of keeping connected with their small community and they they kept engaged they found new ways to to see that transformation take place so if I, if I look at, so how does that dream unfold in terms of the context of this initiative? What strikes me is what would it be like if we saw week to week more people meeting in their life groups than what we even see on Sunday mornings? Mm-hmm. That it became such a part of who they are that it began to be such a major part of their livelihood that that was truly where their spiritual growth began to deepen. What would it be like if we saw more people in those groups on a week-to-week basis than even here at worship? And I, for me, I think in terms of a dream, that would really help prepare us to weather whatever storms. Not just things like this whole transition of coronavirus and all, but other weatherings that take place within our lives. Yeah. I think really our life groups could play a major role yeah. in helping us in those. And that's a huge dream. That's a cool dream, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we currently have over 50% of our adults who attend this church that are part of a life group of some kind. It's, we're a church of life groups. We want to become even more so a church of life groups because we recognize, well, we're better together. That is a great dream. I'll pray with you for that dream. Hey, as I wrap up, as we wrap up here, though, this morning, um, up on the screen, you just see a summary you see this icon out in the lobby, and it's, it's this. What do you want me to do, Pastor? You just commit to three to four hours a week for these things. If you want to grow, you got to put some time into it. You do these three environments where you come to Sunday morning service or Sunday evening C20 service, and you seek the truth of the gospel. You embrace the gospel in service. You live it out then during the week. You join a mission, just one mission, through this church, for the community, for others here in this community, and you choose community. If you can only do one right now, I say choose community, honestly. If you can only do one right now, if you've already embraced the gospel, the first thing you need to do is embrace the gospel. That's the first thing you need to do. If you've done that, next thing is choose community. If you haven't done that, start there. But uh, this is where we're going over these next nine months. I can't wait to see what God will do. Uh, Todd, would you uh, lead us in prayer as we begin this initiative? All right. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for this opportunity to just see you do your transformational work in these smaller versions of Carnegie Free as we look at life groups and the ways in which you can do your work as we grow increasingly in love with you and with one another. God, I pray that you would help us to continue to form safe places, safe groups for people to step into and begin to allow you to transform their lives, not coming in perfect, but coming in where they're at and moving forward with one another, moving forward in you. God, I thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. May we increasingly understand that and allow that to unfold within our communities. To you be glorified.